We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. People like Virginia Woolf would walk the streets of London all day and talk with her sister and bring her pen and notebook, hoping for the muse to spark some ideas. Steve Jobs held many of his meetings while walking, walking meetings. People like Nikola Tesla, Beethoven, Dickens, Nietzsche all had creative ideas emerge during their walks. Werner Heisenberg discovered the foundations of quantum physics after traveling alone to a remote archipelago on the North Sea and doing nothing but taking daily walks and going for long swims. And Charles Dickens was particularly interesting because I understand that he suffered from lifelong insomnia and actually went out into the streets of London where real life brought great expectations, A Christmas Carol, David Copperfield, and more to his actual writings. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 191, pH Factor. Step by step. Walk before you run. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Good morning, Harry. How are you? I'm well, Peter. How are you doing? Good. Have you gotten any snow yet in Nova Scotia? Yeah, we got our first snowfall a few days ago. So winter is now here for sure. It's minus five or something outside right now. So it's a crispy, cold, but sun-filled day. It's quite lovely, in fact. I'm enjoying it. And is the barn finished? Almost. It's probably about 99% there. There's some details and things to complete. That's going to be happening through the winter months. But right now, it's as complete as it can be and functional, so that's the main thing. So are your horses walking or running back and forth to the barn? We're walking them. We walk them from the barn in the morning to the paddocks to hang out through the day. And then we walk them back to the barn at the end of their day. So my day is filled with walking back and forth with the horses. So even the horses are walking before they're running, which is what we're talking about today. Exactly. Step by step. Walk before you run. We're talking about walking, the world of walking, the benefits of walking, the history of things that have happened on walks, that sort of thing. Because we tend to take some of these things for granted. Mm -hmm. Everybody walks pretty well every day, unless you're disabled in some form. And so this step by step, we do it every day, mostly unconsciously. So we're going to try to make it a bit more conscious today and talk about the very act itself. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a round trip, isn't it? Because we begin by talking about baby steps, and we typically end our life hoping that we can continue walking until our last breath. Yeah, old age steps are virtually baby steps again. We kind of go back to that place just after we were crawling on all fours. The interesting thing about walking, too, in the development of children as they go from four to two legs is that it echoes our evolution as a species in a way from the four-legged creatures that we really came from ultimately to the two-legged simians, apes and gorillas, and then to human existence. Mm -hmm. And it echoes that in a way, our development, which is interesting. Yeah, and speaking of two legs, we're also going to be talking about walking and the process that we often go through when we're walking, what we're thinking, what we're looking at. There are definitely health benefits, which we'll get into as well. And I think there's also emotional and cognitive things associated. You were talking to me yesterday about this, and you'd asked me about the, the trip I'd taken to Rome in 2006, just after mm -hmm. my father died. 
I had not been back to Italy since 1958 when I left as a five-year-old to come to Canada, and I went back after 48 years and landed in Rome on Easter Sunday of all days and knew I was only going to be there for 36 hours. So I made a point of making a plan for the next morning to literally walk the city of Rome and take in all the sights because I only had a day there to spend before getting the train to go south to my hometown. And I began at about seven in the morning and I walked till about nine o'clock at night. So I guess that's about 14 hours. And over that time span, I estimated I covered just over 30 kilometers of walking, which was just a great way to see Rome and the people. And there the food is so good that Literally, you can pick up things to eat as you're walking and enjoy that as well. And it was 23, 24 degrees, just ideal. And it was not only kind of a silent, cathartic experience, it was just so wonderful to be able to focus on just the walking, the sights, the people that were around you. And of course, in a city like Rome, the sights are incredible. You go from one corner to the next, turn a corner, you don't know what you're going to see, and you're in front of a 2,000-year-old pantheon and, and so on and so forth. The whole event, as I said, took a full day, of course, walking relatively slowly, but I must have been energized as well because it's not a small distance, and yet I felt pretty good when I was finished. So that was just one of my experiences. Yeah, and I can echo that with Paris as the city of walking. My wife and I have been there twice. I've been there three times. And every time we have basically eschewed public transport and walked everywhere, it's not a small city, Paris, but the central part of it, mm -hmm. the downtown areas, they're very walkable. So we would walk everywhere. And the beauty of it was we would often come across certain sites, architecturally interesting buildings or really interesting buskers on the street. And mainly because we were walking. If we had been driving in cabs everywhere, we'd be flying past these things and not noticing them. And so that's one of the beauties of walking is that it slows one down and you begin to notice things you wouldn't have noticed had you been rushing in a car. Exactly. And you can also get into a kind of a rhythm because, as you said, you can stop, which you're bringing it basically to a standstill. But you can also pick up the pace if you feel like it, if you want to get to something or switch direction. It's a wonderful way to see things and really absorb what's there because you're not concerned with any traffic. You're not concerned with getting in and out of vehicles. And you have the flexibility of, at the spur of the moment, engage in a conversation or simply sit by a river and throw a pebble into the water or just sit and sightsee and, and people watch, whatever the case might be. It's just a very kind of, I find anyway, sort of relaxed way of engaging wherever you are and with whomever you're talking to. And beyond that, I mean, you can take it even further. There are Buddhist, for example, Buddhist traditions where there are walking meditations whereby you are told to walk very slowly. And with each step, you might say, taking a step, right step, taking a left step. And you're doing this so slowly, you might walk 10 meters and then you turn, you know, turning, turning. So in other words, you are told to be aware of every single step in your walking. And that gives you focus. It gives you patience, encourages you to be patient because these things take time. Mm -hmm. And so 
some of the benefits of walking are kind of obviously there in the way meditation works. When you say the word Buddhist, I automatically think of the East and all the other things that are associated with that kind of movement, like Tai Chi and the martial arts, which are all sort of developed and evolving from a slow movement to a more rapid movement. Everything begins with a slow process of going through the motions, going through the physicality, the awareness level and the positioning and so on, really translates into many other areas of physical development, mm -hmm. literally in any sport for that matter. Oh, sure. Most every sport, you start slow and then you speed up. So walk before you run. Walking, unless you're hampered by sprains or other disabilities which won't allow you to walk, most people are able to take it up as a physical activity because it's not a major exertion. You can walk at a slower pace if need be, but you're able to do that. And while you're doing that, you're helping your heart, your immune system, you're reducing your desire for sugar intake. There are many other health benefits associated with walking, including the elements that you're in, the fresh air that you're getting. You talk about walking around your property, for example. Mm -hmm. What do you encounter in that process? What benefits do you think you're gaining? Well, for me, it's simply being in nature and being outside, getting vitamin D into my system when it's sunny, etc., hanging out with the animals and learning from them. And so I'm not running around, I'm walking with them. I'm walking with my cat, I'm walking with the horses, and we are connecting as being to being as we walk. And so for me, that's the main benefit altogether. It also slows my mind down. I have to focus on one thing and one thing only. When you're working with 1,200 pounds of horse, you can't let your mind wander all over the place. It has to be calm and focused. And so walking with them helps me do that, which is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about health, and when you mentioned walking, the obvious thing too is the actual joints, your ankles, your knees, it keeps them lubricated and eases joint pain for a lot of people, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great way to reduce problems or other issues that are associated with a sedentary lifestyle. Yeah, I mentioned earlier the importance to the immune system, especially during cold and flu season as we're typically in right now. Studies found that those that walked at least 20 minutes a day, five days a week, had something like 40 to 50% fewer sick days than those who exercised once a week or less. Yeah. So many benefits inherent in its practice. Yeah, and depending upon your walking shoes, the ground that you walk across, it can be very uneven. Mm -hmm. And if you're walking outside in nature, through the forest or what have you, you're walking on uneven ground, which actually provides a kind of reflexology treatment to the bottom of your feet, strangely enough. Good point. Yeah. So the less material between the bottom of your foot and the ground, like in the summertime, try to walk around in bare feet if you can, because you get a natural reflexology treatment on the bottom of your feet. Mm -hmm. And then you were talking about the meditative qualities and the other spiritual benefits, for example, the Camino walk. Yeah, uh, the Camino de Santiago, which is the main one, it's a network of walking trails all across Europe. But all of them lead to the city of Santiago de Compostela, which is in Galicia. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that. Maybe it's Galicia in the northwest of Spain. 
And since the Middle Ages, pilgrims of all types from all around the world have taken these routes and typically end up at the Santiago Cathedral, where the remains of St. James are supposedly buried. But you don't really need to be heavily religious to do the walk. Many, many people do it as a kind of a personal quest, personal spiritual journey. And you can start 100 kilometers away. You can start 800 kilometers away. It can take a month to do it. And I know several people who have done it. And in fact, we've interviewed one of them, Drew Marshall, a number of episodes ago. Yes, TSP 096. Yeah. And so people report a kind of transcendental experience when they walk those trails. In fact, Drew Marshall took a vow of silence during those months, and he didn't utter a word Mm -hmm. on that whatever month, month and a half he took walking the trail. So it's one of those bucket list things that people want to do is to walk the Camino, one of the Camino trails. And speaking of walking, another fellow that we interviewed, Tony Holtkamp, which he did right here in Canada. Yep. A much longer walk. It literally took him an entire year, nine months to be precise, which began in January of 2022 and ended in the middle of October, where he finished in Victoria, B.C. after having left Newfoundland back at the beginning of the year. Mm. And Tony walked the entire course, roughly 8,000 kilometers. Yeah, it's phenomenal, really. And the beautiful thing about Tony and his walk was that he wasn't really proving anything. He wasn't doing it for charity or doing it to make some big point. He just gave himself that challenge to do it. And he just said, okay, well, I'm going to do this. He's in his 50s, I think. Mm -hmm. And he pulled it off. So kudos to Tony for doing that kind of walk. That's not an easy thing at all. In fact, I remember in some of the interview with him, he talked about how difficult some of those points on the road were going into minus 30 weather and walking for 20 kilometers or something. It's a challenge. That's right. Tony, who's in his late 50s, approaching 60, his greatest challenge, of course, was the weather in the early stages in eastern Canada. He talked about that. In fact, he took a short hiatus of a few days to reestablish himself and move a little bit later so that he wouldn't encounter such a great challenge with the weather conditions at the time. Mm-hmm. And if you want to hear the details of Tony's walk, that was TSP 172, which we did a few months back for anyone who's interested in hearing more from Tony himself. And other people go on walks or marches to make a social point. All these protests that we see in the streets, they are typically walking protests. Protesters walk through the main streets of the city with placards and shouting for the issue that they feel strongly about. And one of the great civil disobedience walks in history happened on March 12, 1930, when about 78 protesters joined Mahatma Gandhi in India, in the city of Ahmedabad, and they were going to walk to the Arabian Sea coast and arrive at the village of Dandi, and that's 240 miles or 390 kilometers away. And on the way, they gathered hundreds of thousands of people who joined that march. It's known as the Salt March because they walked to the sea in order to pull salt out of the sea and make salt, which had been forbidden in the British Raj. You would get jailed or fined for doing that, but it was an act of civil disobedience. Now, it took 17 years after that for India to find its independence, but that walk 
was seen as a kind of a turning point in the history of India's push for independence. So many of the walks aren't just there for health benefits, but they're there for society's benefit and for the benefit of freedom in the world. Sure. And while you're on that subject, in the 60s, of course, the famous walks with Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement in the south of the U.S. Yeah. Civil disobedience, really. It's just a form of peaceful civil disobedience. All we're doing is walking, folks. You've got nothing to be afraid of, but we have a point to make and we want you to think about it and to be aware of it, that there are people suffering that there's a nation that is not free, et cetera, et cetera, that all of these kinds of things have been focused on through these incredible marches and walks throughout history. And I've been on marches, of course, for various issues in my life. And there's always this feeling of togetherness, of peacefulness, of love and understanding and all of that, while at the same time protesting some wrong that we feel strongly about. And there's also the creative aspect of this. And we know people like Virginia Woolf, Beethoven, and perhaps you can describe in more detail these particular individuals that used their creative juices directly related to their walking. Yeah, there was a Stanford study in 2014 that found that walking increased a person's creative output by an average of 60, that's six zero percent. That's enormous when you think about it. And so yeah, people like Virginia Woolf would walk the streets of London all day and talk with her sister and bring her pen and notebook, hoping for the muse to spark some ideas. Steve Jobs held many of his meetings while walking, walking meetings. People like Nikola Tesla, Beethoven, Dickens, Nietzsche all had creative ideas emerge during their walks. Werner Heisenberg discovered the foundations of quantum physics after traveling alone to a remote archipelago on the North Sea and doing nothing but taking daily walks and going for long swims. And Charles Dickens was particularly interesting because I understand that he suffered from lifelong insomnia and actually went out into the streets of London where real life brought great expectations, A Christmas Carol, David Copperfield, and more to his actual writings. Yeah, and a lot of artists, creative folks, are told or learn to walk away when you're blocked, if you feel the ideas aren't coming, walk away, take a walk. And by the time you get back from your walk, your mind is refreshed. You've centered yourself again. You've dispelled with your anxieties, etc. And it starts to flow again. There are many, many examples of that happening. In fact, George de Mestral, who was a Swiss engineer in the 1940s, he was walking his dog one day. And when he got home, he saw that these burdock seeds had stuck to his clothes. Mm -hmm. And he noticed they had a lot of tiny hooks that attached and stuck firmly to the fabric and the fur. And he realized that he could create a kind of a new fastening system using the concept. And Velcro came into existence as a result of that walk and what he discovered on it. So there's lots to discover on your walks. Anything could happen if you keep your ears peeled and your eyes open and notice things. Walkers for seniors started appearing, I believe, in the 1950s, and I think the first U.S. patent was awarded in 1953? Yep, to a fellow named William Cribbs Robb, formerly of uh, Stratford, the U.K., 
And he created something called the Walking Aid, which was filed with the British Patent Office in August of 49. But then the wheeled version of the walkers came later. In May of 57, there was a U.S. patent given. And onwards to this day, the first walker to resemble our own modern ones was patented in 1970 by Alfred A. Smith of California. So again, it's a tool that we take for granted, but somebody who realized that seniors and the disabled needed some sort of walking aid, something that could help them become mobile, developed these walkers to assist in that. And that's the creative juices that we carry. And when we think about the most mundane things that we do, sometimes we need these kinds of aids to help us out. And of course, walking also made its way into the entertainment industry, that famous movie, The Green Mile with Tom Hanks. Yeah. Well, it's a great movie if you haven't seen it. It takes place in a prison on death row. And Tom Hanks is a prison guard. It takes place during the Great Depression. And Tom Hanks starts to witness these supernatural events happening after the arrival of a strange convict played by Michael Clark Duncan. And it takes place, all of these walks are on death row, have these very interesting things going on. It's just an incredible film, very powerful movie. But that's another kind of walk, isn't it? The walk to our end, the walk to our death. And for most of us, we don't run to our death. We actually end up walking slower and slower, end up in a bed somewhere, perhaps, or not. And then we go. Yeah, in fact, it's an entire process. We begin by baby steps, uh, literally baby steps when you're learning how to walk. Then you typically walk down the aisle if you're in the standard traditional marriage and so on. And then, as you say, in the latter years, that slows down to walking or not walking, but the decline of all the aforementioned, which is full cycle. Right. And you just mentioned walking down the aisle. That's one of those milestone moments in a life that people who are married will always remember. And it's a kind of parade in front of the community of two people who want to love each other and want to be joined in matrimony. And the, the community is there witnessing their walk and celebrating it. So it's one of those rituals that involve walking that we kind of take for granted again, but it's extremely important. We don't run down the aisle. <laughs> we walk down the aisle, right? Mm -hmm. We don't do a silly walk down the aisle. We do a regular walk down the aisle. Uh, of course, I'm referring to Monty Python's silly walk routine, which you might know. Yeah, John Cleese. Yeah. And I think in the world we live in, it's taking on more and more significance as the pace picks up. It's a good counter to that rapidity and that constant anxiety that many people feel. Yeah. It's just a breakaway. Mm -hmm. We have sayings connected to walking that we go back to as reminders. When to walk away, for example. When do you walk away from an argument? When is it appropriate to walk away from a confrontation or a challenge? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to do that to reassess, to recenter and then to go back. So sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back. So these expressions connected to walking help us slow down, take a moment, take a breath, that sort of thing. The other element connected to walking are other emotions. So for example, when you see pacing happen, somebody's pacing back and forth mm. in a room, they could be pacing out of anxiety. They could be pacing out of anticipation of something happening, 
They could be pacing out of fear of something happening or out of just plain old boredom, not knowing what to do. You generally get up and you move and you walk. And so like an animal caged, human beings, when they're caged, when they feel a bit lost and don't know what to do with themselves, they'll tend to pace. So that's an aspect of walking which gives a bit of a release or expression to anxiety or boredom. Mm-hmm. And briefly, perhaps to sort of wrap up this conversation on this topic, we should also maybe look at how walking affects us as individuals and how we perceive others as they walk, walking styles, mm. how walking actually is demonstrative of certain personality characteristics. Yeah, you can learn a lot about a person just by observing how they walk. In fact, I had a spiritual teacher many years ago who demonstrated four different types of walking, kind of uh, bouncing up and down or just kind of taking long loping steps or taking a very directed and forward-looking type of strut, that sort of thing. And then he encouraged us to change the way we walk from how we normally do. So I was walking with an up and down kind of movement which is kind of lackadaisical in a way and not very focused, to a very directed, forward-moving, type A personality kind of walk. And it literally changed the way I felt. And it would change my personality if I just continued to walk in that different way, for sure. Yeah, it was a very instructive spiritual exercise. And I would encourage anyone to do that. Just change the way you walk. In fact, change the way you do anything will shift who you are and how you are in the world. Not just walking, of course. It applies to everything. Mm -hmm. How about we just walk on out of here, get the hell out of Dodge, and look forward to the next podcast. And if anybody out there is sparked to comment on our podcasts, please send in your comments. Yes, please talk to us about your walk. Yeah, what was your most interesting walk where you learned something powerful? And we'll share that on our next podcast. On that note, Harry, ciao. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.